Let's go ahead and turn to God's Word. Uh, this morning we'll be in Psalm chapter 122, 122. And as Chuck has mentioned uh, over the last couple weeks, uh, over the summer we're going to be looking at the Songs of Ascent. Uh, the sermon uh, series is entitled The Pilgrim's Path. We've seen that these songs, these songs are songs that were sung or chanted by God's people as they would head from their uh, local towns into Jerusalem several times a year for the different uh, festivities where they would go and worship God. We, they were traveling to Jerusalem, which was the central hub of worship for uh, the people of God. In Psalm 120, we saw uh, this section of the book of Psalms began with the lament of a person within the people of God, within Israel, who longed to be in the house of God, but they were far from it, right? So they were longing to be there. So we saw that was a really a psalm of lament. In Psalm 121 last week, we saw that this same person, they're headed towards Jerusalem. They're traveling towards the holy city. We saw that, you know, there's temptations to find refuge in certain areas, but the, the pilgrim His eyes were focused on the holy city where the true refuge is found in God alone. So today in Psalm 122, this same traveler has made it to Jerusalem. In verse 2 it says that his feet are planted in Jerusalem. We said that this is the true place of refuge. In the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, we see themes run throughout the Old Testament about how the pilgrimage is often linked to worship because these people so frequently would go males were actually required three times a year to go to jerusalem for the different festivities so this journey was filled with longing for them think about if you have uh, a trip coming up or uh, maybe uh, you do celebrate your birthday a lot like we do in our household you think about when you anticipate something that's coming in the future and you're really looking forward to it. You know, having little kids, this is like a lot of my life, right? They, we tell them something that's going on in two weeks and they're like, oh, is it, is it tomorrow yet? I'm like, no, it's not. But they anticipate that, right? And that's how these people were. They were anticipating going into God's house to worship him. And in their anticipation, when they would be traveling, they would sing these very songs that we're reading today. In Psalm 122, where we are this morning, the psalmist rejoices in being in Jerusalem at the temple because it was a visible reminder of God's faithfulness, of his covenants, of his promises to his people. So let's go ahead and turn to the word this morning. We're in Psalm chapter 122. We'll read uh, the entire chapter, uh, all nine verses there. A song of ascents of David. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. 
God, we come before you now, uh, knowing that we are weak, that we need the reminder each week of why we worship you, of the call each week to gather into this place, to lay aside the great week or the difficult week that laid before us and maybe lays in front of us, and to focus on your son Jesus. Lord, in this time, we would be renewed. And Father, we do pray as we open up your word to us in Psalm 122 that our eyes would be made, that we would be able to see with our own eyes the beauty of your son Jesus and how you have called us to worship you. In the precious name of Jesus we pray, amen. So prior to going to seminary, uh, I'm going to back up before that. I love to swim. I love being in the water. Oftentimes we'll take our kids to like these little splash pads, and I've always been the dad that runs around with them and gets wet. I love being in the water. And when we lived in Las Cruces before seminary, we had bought our first house, and this was actually the first thing I really had to let go of because the house had a pool in the backyard that the previous owner had um, Put in, and I just loved it. I was in the pool four or five times a week, and it just even by myself, right? Allison always said it was too cold, so I'm just out there like a fish by myself uh, many times uh, a week. And during that time in life, you know, each winter, if you have a pool or know people who have a pool, you know that it's all it's it's work to prepare it for the winter time, right? So each winter, I would get the right chemicals. I'd go to the pool store and say, I don't know what I'm doing at all. Um, so can you tell me what to do? And they'd say, you need to buy all these things. I'm hoping they're being truthful because I bought a lot of things, right? And I put them in my pool. I covered it up. And I remember the pool guy always telling me, you need to make sure that you're checking the pH like constantly with your pool or it's not going to do the right thing, right? So life goes on. I would cover the pool up and Thanksgiving would come. Family would come to town. I wouldn't be checking the pool. Same thing would happen with Christmas parties and Christmas would come. And I wouldn't check it. And literally every single spring that we owned this house, I would be using Saturday after Saturday after Saturday, turning a murky green pool into a swimmable pool. It took me so long. I bought extra things. I spent much time that I should not have needed to spend if I would have been diligent in doing what I needed to. It may not be a pool for you and you're in, uh, taking care of, but if you're anything like me, you know that this type of thing happens in a lot of areas of life, right? We need to register our car. It, it slips our mind so we forget to do it. Or maybe we forget to pull the weeds in our yard and monsoon season comes in July and it rains like crazy and now they're four feet high in our front yard, right? We, this happens a lot in our life. We easily neglect things that we ought to do, right? And as Christians... We know that you and me have been bought out of slavery, out of sin. That now we have a right relationship with God. And part of fostering that relationship is coming to worship Him. That we were actually intrinsically, that we were designed to worship. Yet, if you're anything like me, we often neglect its importance. Today, we look at a text that opens our eyes to the importance of worship for the people of God, that this traveler has made it to Jerusalem. And we see the joy that is there and why he is called to worship. So the big idea for today is that worship is at the heart of the Christian journey. This is in your bulletin as well as it will be up on the screens. 
Uh, worship is at the heart of the Christian journey. We're going to look at three things. Uh, first, the heart of worship. Secondly, the people of worship. And then third, the extension of worship. So we're going to walk kind of top to bottom with the psalm. But as, before we get into the psalm, I want to kind of lay some groundwork, so some more context of where we are in the scriptures. And in these 15 psalms that we're looking at over the summer, one thing you should know is most theologians and scholars will agree that they're kind of broken out into five sets of three. So it's like one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Five sets of three. And generally, they have a very similar theme in, in Psalms 1, 2, and 3. Okay? Psalm 1 in the sets generally is emphasizing a situation of distress. So if you remember in Psalm 120, it was a lament of a person that is far from Jerusalem. They were in distress because they were far from the place that they needed to worship God. Second, it emphasizes the Lord's power to keep them, to bring them back. Last week we saw God is the only refuge. He is the only one that brings his people back. And third, the general theme for all of them, when we walk all the way down them, is security in the Lord. So that's where we are today. We're in the third week. We see the traveler has made it to the holy city. They have made it to Jerusalem, where it was the central place of worship for Israel. But this is a psalm of thanksgiving. Many scholars will go even a step further and say it's a psalm of Zion, which emphasizes the security that came with God's presence in a localized place in Jerusalem. So this is the place the psalmist is worshiping God. And he says in verse 2, my feet are planted here. So here we are, the heart of worship. This is verses 1 and 2 first. Verse 1 says this. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. So we see from the beginning of the psalm, the heart of the psalmist, or the traveler, the pilgrim, it's on display. That the traveler was glad, he was rejoicing even over the idea of going. Remember, there's a sense of anticipation. We get this before he gets there. He said, I was, I was glad when they said to me, it's time to go. It's time to leave our home, to make the travel, to go to the house of the Lord. Remember last week, Chuck talked about in this time, this was not an easy journey that they would have been making. It was a long trek, long days, sleepless nights. But despite the obstacles that all of these people knew were in front of them, still we see he is filled with joy with the potential of going to the house of the Lord. And here he has made it to the city in verse 2 along with thousands of other pilgrims who have also made this similar journey. They have that in common, right? We've gone through a lot to be here, but man, we did not mind at all. They made it to the goal of the pilgrimage. You know, Eugene Peterson, we're using this book uh, when we're walking through this text called Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It essentially walks through uh, this section of Psalms. And in his book, he says, Here, we are not listening to the phony enthusiasm of a propagandist drumming up business for worship. We are witnessing what is typical of most Christians in most places at most times. This is not an exception to which we must aspire. It is an instance of the average. 
So what we see throughout the scriptures and throughout all of time is that God has redeemed a people for himself, and these people are a worshiping people. It's a core, at the core of Christianity, at the core of the Christian journey, is worshiping God and responding in worship to what God has done. And I would argue that in our time, given time and place now, that means being plugged into a local place of worship, seeking to worship him week after week after week. This idea of gathering together, we mention this every week. There's a reason we mention it every week in the intro welcome that God has given us the first day in seven to come together to worship him, right? That worship has, been, has provided a structure for our life. It's the first day we rest in God and we go out from that. It also brings stability into our lives. If you're anything like me, you know that we are quick to forget all the Lord has done when we go from place to place outside Sunday morning. So when we come into worship on a Sunday morning, we are reminded not only of our sin in our confession, but also in our forgiveness in what Jesus has done for us. And that in itself gives us the freedom to live without guilt or shame. The thing is that we live in what many scholars will say a time of, that is called the age of sensation. The age of sensation. And where this mantra says, if you don't feel something, you can't be authentic in doing it. If you can't feel something, you can't be authentic in doing it. Even today in Psalm 122, we look at the top and we say, oh, the psalmist is filled with joy. He's filled with like anticipation to go to the Lord's house. And we can take that mantra and say, look at my own life and say, like, I don't, I don't feel that way. I don't desire to go into the Lord's house like I see this psalmist speak. Forget traveling mile after mile after mile by foot. I won't, I have a hard time even getting motivated to get in my car and drive 10 minutes. The thing is, the age of sensations values don't line up with what the Bible says. The Bible actually gives us a structure and stability that is not based on our feelings, but based on God as the one who keeps us. There is a reason that we start with a call to worship every week, right? That it is God. When I, when I teach the kids in there, they have a little picture for call to worship, and it has like a megaphone. And I always tell them, do this, and it's calling the people, and they do it with me. I'm saying, it's God Come here, people, right? And I promise any time that we have a call to worship, it's never going to say, come to worship if you feel like it. If you feel good, come to worship. It's never going to say that because the Psalms don't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. God calls his people every week, knowing they're weak and feeble, prone to wander away, as the hymn so perfectly says. And God says to his people, come, come to me. This is where you belong here. Come to worship me. Participate in the gathered worship of God's people. It's where you belong. Today, from this text, we can see that worship is at the core, right? It is a normal part of the Christian journey. At the same time, we can see that the traveler, he travels from his hometown 
into Jerusalem with many other people, that he's not worshiping alone. Right? You can do a lot of things that are worshiping God on your own. You can, throughout your week, you can. But here, specifically, we see the Christian's call is not to be worshiping in isolation, but to be worshiping with a community. And this is really hits at home with where we are now, right? In our time now, isolation has become, like we talked about with the men, and I would say that with women and everyone, has been kind of a normal thing. We, we did it for a season, which created lots of means to be able to isolate. We now can work at home more often. We can worship from home if you really want to, right? But the text today is actually telling us it's good for you to gather together, to be in the same place, to worship the Lord in a localized church that God has planted for the growth of his people. So secondly, that was the heart of worship, that we are called to be worshiping people. Secondly, the people of worship. This is verses 3 through 5. Let's look at verses 3 through 4 to start. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. So in this time, remember, we have to always remember where this writer is living in, the context and what he's living in. In the ancient Near East, where the writer was living in, city walls provided protection or sanctuary for the people within it. You see pictures of old cities, you hear narratives uh, throughout the Old Testament. You see the wall surrounding a city providing protection for invading army. So if you think about Jerusalem, and I did this this week, you can go home and Google even what Jerusalem looks like now, right? You can think about how the walls around Jerusalem were crafted by this white crystalline limestone. It's a very beautiful stone. And the city was beautifully designed, and all the bricks were layered like perfectly together, and there's no gaps in the, in the wall. It's a very beautiful thing. We see the text says that Jerusalem is described as bound firmly together. That's what it says in verse 3. Which at first glance, knowing about Jerusalem, even the things I just told you, you could think about, yes, it's really nice. It's a nice city. It's, it, they, they made it really beautiful for its people. But while it could mean, let's talk about the construction of the city. It goes beyond that. It goes beyond the construction, but it actually defines the community within the bounds of the, of the city. He's saying that the people of God of this city are bound firmly together, or more literally, they're compacted closely together. A people beautifully designed by God himself are brought together by the Creator God. I've mentioned this many times since I've been here. I wouldn't know any of you if it weren't for Jesus. We would not be in the same room if it weren't for Jesus. And this is what he's saying here, that he has made a people that is bound firmly together through the work of Jesus on their behalf. So in the same way that the city of Jerusalem was made so beautifully, God has crafted a people redeemed to himself who are called to worship together, together in the same way. So the unity of the city it's a metaphor or a picture of the tribes of Israel united together to come to worship God. We see in verse 4 that he calls a diverse group of people together to give thanks to the name of the Lord together in harmony. 
In verse 5, he goes on and says, There are thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. So this diverse group of people are coming together with many different ideas, many different lifestyles, right? But we know that Jerusalem was not only the religious center of, is, uh, center of Israel, it was also the political center, right? The kingship, the Davidic kingship, it represented the reign and rule of God on earth. Okay? So when we're talking about judgment was set the thrones of the house of David, it's not specifically about David, but who's David pointing to? The rule and reign of God. So we see in this section specifically, and I would say the whole psalm, it really has uh, overtones of looking to the future. Eschatological-minded, thinking about the future when God will wipe away sin and there will be perfect harmony on the earth. As New Testament Christians, we can read Psalm 122 in its original and see how beautiful it is that God has bound together this people in the original context and say he has bound them together and they're coming together all these through treks and worshiping God several times a year together. But also, we can see the fulfillment of God's dwelling place with his people in Jesus Christ, his son. While in the Old Testament, God dwelled with his people through a veiled presence. There was a sheet essentially in front of them. In the New Testament, we see that he sends his son that tears the veil in half. Now you and me, Christian, are brought into the city of God that is bound together by God's very Son and the blood that he shed for us. That we are brought into the presence of God to worship him through his Son, Jesus. And now, no longer does he only call the Jewish tribes, but it's the gospel, it says in the New Testament, the gospel went to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. That it is all people that are called And our prayer now, as New Testament Christians, from verse 5, the thrones of judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David, saying, the rule and reign of Jesus, let it come to the earth in every sphere. Our prayer is that the kingdom would come on earth, that God's justice and mercy and love and grace would go beyond the walls of just one city in Jerusalem. Go beyond the walls of a few churches in the world, but to the ends of the earth. We see worship coming into a corporate place takes us beyond worshiping in a corporate place. Let's look lastly at the extension of worship in verses 6 through 9. Verses 6 through 7 first begin. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. What we see here is that when people come into the house of the Lord, it stirs them for spiritual obedience, that worshiping God causes hearts to be stirred for the good, the furthering of God's kingdom on earth. In worship, people are stirred to pray for the kingdom. That's what we see at the very beginning of this section here to be secure in peace. The psalmist longs not only for the justice of the Lord to reign, but also the peace of the Lord to reign. See, he moves, also, he moves from God's kingdom to God's people. He's praying for the furthering of both these things. In verse 
8, he goes on, For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, Peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. So we see the, the heart of the pilgrim. It's stirred as he comes into worship. First to pray for God's kingdom to be furthered in the earth. And then for God's people. So not only does it nourish your soul to come to this place, which it does, but it helps you. It gives you food to feed on, to move forward in your walk with the Lord. The thing is about Psalm 122, this is like the beautiful thing about like seeing Old Testament stuff and seeing fulfillment in Jesus. That while the city of Jerusalem, the dwelling place of God in the Old Testament, it was often in conflict, right? We see these prayers saying, please bring peace, please bring peace. If you know much about the Old Testament, you know that that was not the case for Jerusalem all the time. That the city was often covered in turmoil. But later, in redemptive history, we see God's presence fully revealed in His very Son, And he would bring a peace that cannot be evaded by anything. Because God sent his son to take the curse of sin, to bring peace to a hostile world. So no longer is it just a wall that needs to come down for the enemy to come in. But there is no enemy that can remove the peace and security that comes from God himself through Jesus. Jesus himself said in John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So when we come to Jesus, when we come to worship him, he is the one who brings true peace and security, the things the psalmist was praying for here. Renowned uh, Archbishop William Temple says this as we close. For worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose. And all of this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable and therefore the chief remedy that our self-centeredness, which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. That worship stirs you on, Christian, to love Jesus more clearly, to see him in a new way, that you may be focused on him. Because remember, worship is at the heart of the Christian journey. So let us worship him together this morning. Let's pray. God, each week we need you. We come before you this morning knowing that. That if it were not for this day you have set aside for us, that we would often run away. And still, even with the day you have given us, we do. And Father, we pray for strength. We strength through your son Jesus to come to your table each week to be nourished, knowing that we are weak and sinful. And Father, we are forever grateful for your faithfulness to your people, that you are covenant-keeping, that despite our constant rebellion against you, you still invite us in. Father, as we come to your table now, we pray that you would nourish us in this place. Be with us here. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray.
Amen.